Good morning, everyone. It is good to be together. And I don't know if you have done it yet. Just take a moment and look around. Uh, the parking lot is pretty full this morning as God's people have gathered together on the first day of the week. It is what Christians have been doing for thousands of years in various places, sometimes in buildings, sometimes in barns, sometimes in backyards, sometimes in homes, sometimes in parking lots. But Christians have been meeting together to worship Christ. And here we are. And Christians have met together to hear the word, to hear the word of Christ. And that is what we want to do now in our worship uh, today. So I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 as we begin a new, uh, somewhat brief series, a three or four month series through the book of Acts, tracing out um, what it looks like to be alive in and filled with the Holy Spirit uh, in the life of the church. And so uh, we turn to Acts chapter 1, and here in verse 1, Luke, the author and historian, writes these words. In the first book, by that he means the third gospel, the gospel according to Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then down in chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then down to verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And now down to verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent 
and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of, the, of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise of the Spirit is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their word food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. This is, this is the word of the living God. Our Father and God in heaven, would you please in these next few minutes give us insight into your word that we might hear it and receive it and believe it and follow it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, uh, Brother Alex encouraged you all to begin to start reading the book of Acts individually and as families and uh, together with other believers. And we continue to ask you to do that over these next few months. Read it not once or twice, but maybe five times or ten times over these next weeks that this book of the Bible that speaks of the history of the early church might find its way into our hearts and the power of the Spirit of God that ignited the early church might ignite us as well. So let me, let me begin just to give a little background here. Acts, the book of Acts, is a historical account by a renowned uh, first century historian, the man Luke. Even unbelievers will credit Luke with being incredibly accurate and precise in his history and how he recounts events of that time period. He is a respected, uh, we believe, inspired by God historian uh, telling us what happened in the earliest days of the church. There was another historian that lived just a little bit later than Luke and the book of Acts, a man who was not a believer, uh, but had some things, interesting things to say about Christians. Uh, the man's name was Tacitus. Tacitus was a noted Roman historian, and he wrote about Christians somewhere around the year 115 A.D., just a few years after the New Testament was completed, and he hated the Christian church. He hated Christians. And he gives an account, you maybe have heard of the fire of Rome, Nero's fire, and the, the tradition at least that he was playing a fiddle while Rome was 
burning. And uh, Tacitus writes about that event, that fire. Uh, and this is what he writes. He says, Nero fastened guilt and inflicted exquisite tortures on a class or some people hated and their names were Christians. In other words, when the fire was burning, as it was burning, he blamed the Christians for it and persecuted them intensely. And then Tacitus goes on and says, Christus, or Christ, from whom the name of this group gets its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius. Anybody know what the extreme penalty was in the Roman Empire? It was crucifixion. And so Tacitus, in the year 115, says Jesus was crucified. He suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our leaders, Pontius Pilate. Sound familiar? If you know your Bibles, it's tracking. The history of Tacitus is tracking the history of Scripture. And then it says that this superstition, which is what he called Christianity, this superstition was checked, it was stopped for a moment, but then broke out, not only in Judea, where it all began, but even in Rome. Now, I bring this up because it is a fascinating confirmation of the basic historical facts of the gospel. What do we believe? We, we believe that Jesus suffered the extreme penalty of the Roman Empire. He was crucified. And we believe that following the crucifixion, the, the faith and the message of Christ was silenced for a little while. We've read about it, the disciples, for a little while. They were uh, in the upper room. They were silenced. They were in fear. They were held in check, to use Tacitus' word. But then it broke out. The gospel broke out all over again in Judea and all the way to, to Rome. And we, we, we hear in Tacitus' words a, an outline of what actually happened as recorded in Scripture. Jesus died on the cross. Then there was silence. And then on the third day there was resurrection. But then there was a bit more silence until the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell upon the church, upon believers, and from that day onward, there was no stopping the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what anybody said or did, the gospel and the church ignited in like a spreading flame within a matter of decades. It spread throughout the Roman Empire and into other parts of the world. The book of Acts is God's historical record of that happening. This, this really took place. And so what we want to do here today and in coming weeks is, is we want to see how did that happen? What, what was it that ignited this? What fueled this? What spread this flame of the gospel and of the church across the world? And in short, what ignited it and fueled it and empowered it and spread it was the ministry of the Holy Spirit in and through 
the church. And so as we study the book of Acts, and as you're reading the book of Acts, we want you to notice things like how many times the Holy Spirit is referenced in this book. There are 28 chapters in Acts. You will note at least 53 times the Holy Spirit is referenced. There are 28 chapters in at least 26 of them. There are supernatural activities of the Holy Spirit. So this is a book, you could say it's, you know, in your Bible it may say it's the Acts of the Apostles. We could accurately say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit doing His thing through the church. And we are going to see one thing after another that the Spirit does. And I hope you will come with your heart anticipating it, looking forward to it. And I hope you will come believing, brothers and sisters, believing that what God did back then, He wants to do today. That this is not just something for the past. This is something for here and for now. That's why in, if you look at your Bibles at chapter 2 and verse 17, What does God say? In verse 17, In these last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Brothers and sisters, we're in the last days. These are the last days. I don't know how long or short they're going to be, but these are the last days. And in these days, from the days of Christ's ascension to His return, God is pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. And so in chapter 2 and verse 39 He says, or verse 38, he says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. Hear this. The promise of the Spirit is for you, Peter said to his audience there on Pentecost Day, and it's for your, what, children, and that's cool, that's great, but even better for you and me, and it's for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God calls to Himself. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not just for the apostles. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not just for a few. The promise of the Holy Spirit is for all who are afar off. And we are afar off from Pentecost, but the Lord has called us to Himself and given us this promise. And so, Let's come expecting, let's come looking and anticipating what does the Holy Spirit offer to us through His power and through His grace. So as we, as we get started in this, let me uh, mention a couple of things. Let me, let me start with this question uh, for you uh, this morning. Is the wind blowing right now? The wind blowing? I'm not trying to be spiritual here, so amen isn't needed yet in a minute. Is the wind, the physical wind, blowing right now? How do you know? You can feel it. You can't necessarily see it, but you can feel it. And you can see its effects. If you look closely enough, you can see it blow my notes when I don't want my pages turned. It happens every week. The wind comes. The wind does its thing. It, it gives us a little breeze so that it's cooler when it's hot or it, uh, 
It comes a little harder like it's supposed to do this afternoon, and we hope it waits until this afternoon. It blows clouds in that drop rain on us. The wind you cannot see, but you can see the effects of the wind upon our surroundings. You cannot see the Holy Spirit, but when the Spirit blows, when the Spirit moves, when the Spirit falls upon us and fills us, you can see the effects of the Spirit in our lives. And that's what we want to look at in these coming weeks and months. What happens when the wind of the Spirit blows upon us? What happens? Wonderful things happen. And I'm going to, what I'm going to do here is just give you three broad ideas as to what the Spirit of God does when He comes. So, number one, when the Spirit falls and fills, priority happens. When the Spirit falls and fills, priority happens. When, when the Spirit falls and fills, He has a way of getting us to focus on what is most important. Look at verses 6 through 8 of chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I want you to, I want you to notice what Jesus does here. He shifts their priorities. They come to him in verse 7 with a question about politics. Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were thinking politically. They were thinking government. They wanted the power structures of earth to change. They wanted to be in charge. They had had enough of Roman oppression. They had had enough of class disadvantage. They had had enough of all of the stuff that came with the Roman Empire, and they wanted change. They wanted political change. They wanted earthly governmental change. That was their focus, but Jesus alters their focus. Jesus changes their priority by saying, that is not your business, the times, the seasons, and politics. Your business is to be what? My witnesses, and not just in Jerusalem and for Israel, but in Judea and Samaria and where? To the end of the earth. Jesus radically changes their perspective and he connects it to the ministry of the Spirit of God. When the power of the Spirit of God comes upon us, He will not turn us into politicians. When the power of the Spirit of God comes upon us, He will turn us into witnesses. He will turn us into men and women and young people and children who tell other people about Jesus. 
who talk about, wherever they go, they talk about Jesus. They talk about the person of Christ and the work of Christ and the salvation of Christ and the love of Christ. It's not to say that politics are bad. It's not to say that we shouldn't care about those type of things. But it is to say that we should care the most about bearing witness to Jesus Christ. This is our message. This is our calling. The Spirit, when He comes, He gives us power. And that power gets right down to the root of what we are most concerned about and most committed to. And the power of the Spirit changes us on the inside and makes us realize as important as this other stuff is, this is way more important. That I bear testimony of Jesus. And that I do that. Why? Because people need Jesus. And specifically, they need Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. As you're reading the book of Acts, I want you to notice how many times the the phrase forgiveness appears in these 28 chapters. Let me just give several of them to you here. You see, it wasn't just enough that people bear witness about Jesus and, and tell people about Jesus. It was so that they would tell people about Jesus so that those people's sins could be forgiven. That is the greatest need of every human being, the forgiveness of their sins. And so we read chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In chapter 3 and verse 19, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Chapter 5 and verse 30, The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him at His right hand as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Chapter 8 and verse 22, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Chapter 10, verse 42, And He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. Chapter 13 and verse 38, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Chapter 22 and verse 14, The God of our fathers appointed you to know His will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from His mouth, for you will be a witness for Him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on His name. And finally, Acts 26 and verse 16, But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Folks, when we're done here today, let's rise and stand upon our feet and go forth with this purpose in heart and in mind. Rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, 
to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Oh, my friends, this is the priority. Do you realize that the people you work with, the people you shop with, the people perhaps you live with, the people you see at Wawa's and the people that you see on television and the people that are all around you in your regular contact and in your unexpected contact, do you realize that if they do not know Jesus Christ, they are still in their sins and not forgiven of their sins and soon soon will encounter the risen Christ themselves. And if they have not trusted in Christ, they will be forever condemned for their sins. Do you realize the need? Do we realize the need of our neighbors, of our friends, of our co-workers, of our family members? They need Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. For, as Peter says in chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way. And Jesus is the only way. And when the Spirit of God falls upon us and fills us, it will shift our priorities from all the other things that tend to consume our attention and our time. And it will get us focused on this great priority to bear witness of Christ to whoever we meet whenever opportunity arises that they might hear that despite the fact that they like all of us are sinners there is a way to be right with God there is a way to be forgiven of all of those sins it's by believing that Jesus died on the cross for their sins And that he rose from the dead, triumphant over the grave, and triumphant over sin, over Satan, over everything. And that he reigns even now. He's on a throne. He controls the reign. (laughs) He controls the reign. And right now, King Jesus, King Jesus is watching us, and he's hearing us, and he's seeing us, and he's loving us. And he's going to keep on reigning and ruling until... Every one of his plans is completed until all of his enemies are defeated, until the gospel has reached all nations so that there are people who believe in him and are forgiven from every tribe and tongue and language group on the face of the earth. This is Jesus, and this is the Jesus our neighbors need to know. So let us, let us let the Spirit of God fall upon us and fill us with the expectation that when He does, when He does, our priorities will shift and our mission will become clear and we will bear witness to others for the forgiveness of their sins. And so, when the Spirit fills, falls and fills, priorities change. Secondly, when the Spirit falls and fills, power happens. Power happens. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the book of Acts is historical record of the power of the Spirit of God falling upon the church and through the church into the Roman world. The Holy Spirit enables a powerful witness, a powerful gospel, proclaiming a powerful Savior, producing powerful conversions and powerful transformation in people's lives, resulting in a powerful church that makes a powerful impact on a weak and on a broken world, all for the glory of God whose power it is. When the Spirit falls and fills, power happens. Power happens. And then third, when the Spirit falls and fills, pattern happens. Pattern or practice, you might almost say predictability, happens. When the Spirit falls and fills, there are certain things that just begin to happen. And they happen consistently. And they happen wherever the Spirit of God falls and fills. We see a description of it in chapter 2 and verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked crooked generation. So, those who received his word, that is, those who believed, and as he has just said, in believing they would receive the Holy Spirit. Those who received the Word, received the Spirit. And then what happened? They were baptized. They were added to the church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And we'll read a little, we would read a little bit later that day by day, the Lord added more and more to their number and that pattern returned. This is what happens. This is the rhythm and pattern of Spirit-filled life. Sometimes the Spirit of God does amazing, astonishing, unpredictable, spontaneous things. And we pray He does those things more and more all the time. But we need to realize that the normal work of the Spirit is, is one of pattern and almost predictability. When the Spirit comes, what happens? People believe. They get baptized. They get added to the church. And when they get added to the church, they devote themselves to teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and to fellowship. And as they do this, they become equipped and they go out and they win more people to Jesus. And those people, what happens then? They get baptized and they get joined to the church. And they're in the church. They are taught. They, are, they go through teaching. They are devoted to teaching, to the breaking of bread, to prayer and to fellowship. And then what happens? Well, through their witness and through their lives, more people get converted. And what happens to them? Well, they believe. They receive the Spirit. They get baptized. They get added to the church. And in the church, they are devoted to teaching and to the breaking of bread and to prayer and to fellowship. And guess what happens next? All over again. All over again. Too many Christians look at that and say, oh, that's, that's boring spirit life. 
That's, that's so predictable. But there's something glorious in the predictable. You know, the, the leaves are beginning to fall. Well, you could have predicted that. Uh, and when they fall, the trees will be leafless for a while. That's predictable. But in the spring, the leaves will begin to emerge again. And we'll feel the glory of the springtime trees unfolding in their beauty. And then in the summer, we'll be glad for the leaves because they give us shade. Uh, but then in the fall, they will fall again and winter and spring. Now, is that boring, that predictability, or is it glorious? It is glorious. And the predictability, if you will, the, the, the patterns and rhythms of the Spirit of God's work in our lives are not boring. They're wonderful. This is what, do you realize God has been doing this through His Spirit for 2,000 years? Do, do you, look around, there are people who are saved, they are forgiven, and, and they are passing it on to their children, and their children are coming to faith in Jesus, and, and, and others are getting saved, and this, this has been going on for thousands of years. Predictable patterns, but beautiful and powerful patterns. This is what happens when the Spirit falls and fills. And so, brothers and sisters, how do, we, how do we come, as I close, how do we come to Sunday worship over these next few weeks? Can I, can I leave you with just a, a few quick bullet points? This is, this is how we want you coming on Sundays. Come believing. Believe in your mind and heart that all things are possible with God, that we can experience taste and feast of, of spirit life, similar to what happened in Pentecost. It can happen and does happen still today. Let us believe God for what seem to be impossible things. And then let us pray and let us seek. Let us be much in prayer. Be praying, be asking, be seeking, be knocking, and keep on asking, and keep on seeking, and keep on knocking, because our Father in heaven loves to give the gift of the Holy Spirit upon those who keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. Pray and seek, and then be open. Be open to the Spirit of God working in your life. I, I thank God for uh, Janelle this morning, who, you know, in these... Uh, Rather bizarre, strange circumstances, microphone not working. I'm sure she didn't expect to suddenly find herself up front in front of everybody. But the Spirit of God had moved in her heart. And, and she was open to that and willing to exercise that, even in uncomfortable set of circumstances. Be open to all that the Spirit of God wants to do in you and through you. And then be confident. Oh, so confident. God is on our side, or, or God is on the side of the gospel. God, God, is, God has exalted His Son to be a prince and a savior. And God the Father and Son have poured out His Spirit on all of us so that the gospel can go forth with unstoppable force. And let us all the while have our eyes on the skies in the realization that as we bear witness for Christ in these last days, the day is coming when the last days will be over 
and a new day will dawn. And it's not accidental or incidental that this book of Acts begins with that message. For what do we see in Acts chapter 1 and verse 9? And with this I'm closing. When he had said these things, when Jesus had said, you shall be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. In other words, these two men, these two messengers from heaven came to the early disciples who were just talking to Jesus, see him go up through the clouds, and they're just kind of frozen in place. These angels, these messengers come and say, um, why are you standing around just looking around? It's time to go. It's time to go. But go with this assurance that the day is coming that he's going to part the clouds. The day is coming when he is going to descend even as he ascended and he's going to make all things new. So go forth with confidence, with boldness, with hope. King Jesus reigns. And he is exercising his kingdom through us, the church. And he will keep on doing that until his purposes are complete. And then the clouds will open. And then we will stand and be gathered into his sight and into his presence forever. And then the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will dwell perfectly. That new heavens and new earth will be inaugurated. No more sin, no more suffering, no more all the stuff that's going on. King Jesus will reign and we will reign with him forever and ever. So until then, let us be about the Father's business. Let us be open to the filling of the Spirit in our lives. Not just open, but actively seeking, longing for, desiring, and then living in the boldness of the Spirit's work. And what do the people of God say now? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, and until then, keep us faithful. Until then, keep us faithful. Are you, are you able? I think it would be good for us to, uh, well, now our time, I went too long, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, sensitive to children and to all the rest of you. Uh, let, me, let me pray and encourage much prayer these days. Again, as families, heads of households, read Acts together with your family and then pray with your family. Pray pray, Spirit of God, fall upon our home, our family, on our children, on us. Um, fall upon your church. Read, pray, anticipate. Let's see what God does in these coming weeks. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for coming, being with us. Lord, 
Father, you know that I've been praying for your spirit to fall on us and fill us even today. And Father, in some measure that has happened by your mercy and grace, thank you so much. Now help us, Lord, to earnestly desire more and more and more that the power of the Spirit might come upon us and our witness, that there might be powerful conversions, powerful transformation, powerful church to declare and glorify and magnify a powerful God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, who alone is worthy, who is a King and our Savior. We pray it in His name and through His Spirit. Amen. Amen.